Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's study is dealing with another ubiquitous subject within the realm of mental health that has many worldly expressions. It's the subject of anxiety. What we will see is that God offers us freedom from worry and anxiety when we learn to trust in Him alone for the security of our tomorrows. Well, thanks for joining with us today as we look into God's Word for the principles of making this exchange of worry for peace. I want to introduce you to the the newest toy in our nursery. Anyone know what this is? I think it's it's a funny thing how we introduce anxiety to our children At a very young age. Oh, every time. <laughs> Isn't it bizarre? We, we live in a culture, I believe, that is addicted to anxiety. We, we start kids off at a very early age. Um, hyper uh, sensitivity to the world around them, constantly needing uh, attention, always about themselves. We even get them um, doped up on sugar as well as the screens. Have you seen some of the cartoons that kids today watch? It's nonstop, boom, pow, zip, color, flash, bang. I mean, no wonder kids look drugged as they're staring at TVs. And we do the same thing. I had Emily take some pictures uh, at Walmart this morning. Uh, th- this is what pancakes look like today. Can you believe that? Epic, Mrs. Buttersworth. Double chocolate pack pancake kit. Down here you have Fruity Pebbles for pancakes. Look at the cereal aisle. It's incredible. I mean, they might as well be frosted covered sugar cubes with sprinkles. I mean, we're not even trying to hide it. Look at lattes, right? Caramel macchiato cereal. Uh, this past week, I had some uh, peanut butter Captain Crunch. Let me tell you guys something. They might as well just call that box sin. It is good. I felt like my teeth were brittle after one bowl of it. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that adults don't have the same problem, right? We're not medicated on anything. Did you guys try the coffee this morning? Was coffee any good this morning? I don't know if you had a cup of coffee this morning. I thought it was pretty good this morning. It's a good thing we're not addicted to the screens either if you see any cable news what what, what's the standard procedure put one pundit on this side another on that side and let them shout at each other it's no wonder we have an epidemic of anxiety in our world as i was preparing this message i um i believe in some degree i am not entirely uh preaching to those who are uh, really struggling. Here in the UP, I think that we're a little bit more protected from some of the crazy that's out there, right? Any amens from that? Is that anything that you value by living in this particular part of the world? I think so. Um, But make no mistake, anxiety is like the, the mouse that's always trying to eat its way into your life. It's always trying to... Um, infest your heart with worry and angst. And every time it wins, every time 
you and I end up detaching ourselves from a confidence in God and we cling to this feeble and falsely advertised self-governance. The idea that you can fix it if you can just worry about it long enough. And it becomes epidemic. It it manifests itself in, in awful ways in our lives. Do you guys remember when COVID first started? Do do you remember what shelves emptied fastest? (laughs) Toilet paper. And and don't try to tell me we don't live in a world of people who are overly worried and anxious. Um, I approach an intersection and I'm I'm watching for that green light saying, don't turn yellow, don't turn yellow, don't turn yellow. Anxiety plagues us even when we're out driving on the road. In fact, uh, young people today have it worse than ever with the influence of social media. Never has there been so much need for people to feel like they have to put them the best image out there for everybody to see with never-ending scrolling if you have Facebook on your phone. It never ends, not to even mention the um, epidemic of youth who have a fear of missing out of what others might be experiencing and cyberbullying that can happen uh, with anonymity where people would say and do things that they would never say in person. Uh, the medical community has had to adopt an entire new diagnosis that's, that actually has to go unrecognized called adrenal fatigue. You know your uh, adrenal gland that, that kicks in the fight or flight mechanism? Um, doctors are seeing people who are chronically exhausted because they're constantly stimulated in their entire life with stress that has them overwhelmed with anxiety. It all stems from our body's inability to keep pace with the demands of the perpetual fight or flight response that plagues our world. Um, The the, the scriptures have an antidote. It's actually a term that we lose the definition of quite a bit in English. It's the word peace. In Hebrew, the word is shalom. Can we all say that together? Ready? Shalom. Now, in English, peace might mean a moment of tranquility. You know, it might be what you experience when you finally get a cup of coffee or take an aspirin, right? But that is completely foreign to the Hebrew Old Testament concept of shalom. Shalom means wholeness. It means the peace that's extended to us because we are no longer striving. We are no longer seeking to find anything of satisfaction. Instead, we are content. That's what peace is. That is what shalom is. And it's the antidote. It's the answer for a world that is addicted to anxiety. What I'd like to do this morning, we're going to look at probably the number one best passage in the New Testament that will help us to diagnose and understand the principles of shalom. How do you and I learn to embrace this completeness, this wholeness that can only be found in Christ? And we're going we're to talk through very applicationally the principles for that. So that's going to be in our New Testament. But before we do that, like we've done every single message in this series, we're going to try to set some groundwork. We're going to try to define um, some principles, some uh, foundations that we can build on. Uh, so with a couple of definitions, I want to offer to you this morning a continuum of stress as it looks in the life 
of any human being. So you'll see a chart that I have up here. Um, it, it, it's flowing from that side to this side, but it's non-directional. Instead, it's representing how you respond to stress and difficulty in your life. Uh, to, to help make sense of the chart, right across the middle here, you see that bar? Everything above it is healthy. Everything below it is unhealthy. It, it's actually causing injury to your soul. So everywhere it falls below the line causes injury to your soul. Um, the, the direction is flowing away from control. As we think through anxiety in our life, we're going to have to bring some other words in to define it. Uh, but the way it gets charted is as it moves further away from your and my ability to control the circumstance. Meaning, the closer you are to control, the healthier your response is. The, the greater your ability to make change within the things that you see in your life or on the news, the healthier you will be. And the opposite is also true. The further away things are from your control, the more you dwell on them, the more unhealthy they become for you. One, one little note here, which honestly is an entire sermon in itself. See if I can do it in a little note. Um, I was talking with Mary last Sunday, and on, and on her heart was the people of Ukraine. Has anyone ever felt similarly to see, to see women and children, to see those who are hurting, being caught up in this maelstrom of, uh, of just evil and bombardment and death? Um, and so Mary asked if she could put some flowers on the foyer as you walk in that are yellow and blue. Do you know why she picked yellow and blue? Because those are the colors of Ukraine. That's right. Um, and it has to do with the reminder of you and I now to pray for those who are hurting in our world. But I want to give a quick mention of what prayer does. Let me ask you the question. Can you control anything that's happening over in Russia and Ukraine? Anybody here? Because I'll, I'll give Biden a call if you can. Anybody? Nobody? Of course not. Of course not. You, you, you can't control what's going on over there. But who can? God can. And so instead of sitting over here in this area in despair because you can't control it, the thing you can do is you can pray and you can ask God to intercede and then trust that he heard you and he's got it under control. The, the spectrum that moves this way has one other line here and it has to do with action and inaction. Because the closer you are to control, the more access you have to make changes in your life. The further away you get, the more you become idle and you only and you simply worry. There are three sections to this graph and I want to highlight them here in color for you so that we can break them down a little bit and give them definition. The first has to do with fear. That's the good section and I'm going to explain that in a moment. The second has to do with anxiety. So you'll see this very quick and sharp dip into unhealthy behavior right after and on the heels of fear. That's where anxiety sets in. And then as anxiety per, uh, persists, it changes into a new definition into what we call worry. 
Um, let me give some explanation here, first of all, to fear. Uh, fear is largely an unpleasant emotion. Amen? Usually unpleasant, but it leads us to respond to danger. Fear motivates self-preservation and protection. It kickstarts our fight-or-flight response. It doesn't manifest itself immediately with physical or psychological responses um, or adrenaline. Um, There's a word for that. It's called panic. Panic is the the physical manifestation of fear. Uh, Rather, it is a psychological category of emotion and not an anticipatory feeling of harm. There's another name for that. It's called dread. So make sure that you're not confusing what, what I'm saying here, because I, I think if I put fear up here as something that's good, I think I'd get somebody to be like, I don't know about that one, Pastor. I'm not, I'm not sure that you can categorize fear as a good thing. Hear me now. Fear is the informed marker of experiential counsel that will adjust my behavior and my thoughts. We heard a passage this morning about not being afraid. We're going to hear one of a place you should place your fear. Do, could, could you finish the blank with this? The, uh, uh, the blank of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is it? Fear. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, so somehow we need to make sure we're not confusing fear with either panic or despair, or dread. In fact, I want to give you some uh, definitions that will help make this clearer. First of all, fear is the emotional awareness of imposing danger or harm designed to precipitate a response. Fear is the emotional awareness of imposing harm or danger that's designed to get us to react or respond. But do not confuse it with being afraid. Being afraid is not an awareness, it's a state. Being afraid is an emotional state of inaction or lack of response to any negative stressors. So what what we want to categorically identify here is we're building an understanding of anxiety, a biblical foundation to help navigate our soul, is that God has designed fear as a category of influence To help our behavior and our thoughts line up with self-preservation. That's a good thing. If you're driving home today and you see a logging truck cross the center line heading directly for you, what should you do? It'll be fine. No, you should be a little bit of a fear in there that will cause you to make adjustments for self-preservation. Is this making sense? Everybody with me on this so far? All right, we'll, we'll, we'll let, take a little bit more time to, um, to fill in. Let me see if I can give you some examples between this. If I fear I might get in a car accident, I drive defensively. Fear adjusts my behavior. But if I'm afraid of getting in a car accident, I never leave home. See the difference? If I fear financial instability, I make wise decisions with my investments. But if I'm afraid of losing my money, I hide it under my mattress. See the difference? If I fear physical harm at the intersection, I teach my children to look and listen and stop. But if I'm afraid 
that my children will get hurt, they never leave the home. You guys see, see the difference in these categories? Fear is a, an influencing uh, counsel into our lives to help us to adjust. But being afraid is living in fear. Um, in fact, it makes up these two categories here. So let's talk about the next one. Let me, let me talk about worry for a moment. Worry is the emotional state of living in fear. It's being controlled by fear. It's giving in to fear. Worry leads to obsession, leads to impaired judgment, dissatisfaction. It leads to tendencies towards lack of trust and control issues. It has an unhealthy behavioral adaptations of undereating or overeating, sleeplessness, impatience, broken relationships, mental health issues, including panic attacks. It has forms of self-abuse and emotional pain and exhaustion. It leads to a failure in productivity, stewardship, generosity, forgiveness, and the general inability to move on or move ahead. That's what worry does. Worry is like tar. It just sticks you right in one spot and begins to sour all the productivity and the relationships around you. Um, We're going to see one more category here of worry, but before we do, let's talk about the theme for this morning, which is anxiety. Anxiety is mental processing or preparatory calculus of all possibilities and outcomes, those that can be controlled and those that cannot. That's kind of a long definition. I hope I didn't lose you on that. Let me just break it down real quick. Again, anxiety is the processing that your brain begins to do to try to control the situation around you. It's not fear. It's, it's not an emotion. It is a processing that begins to happen where you're calculating, well, what if this happens, then that will be the thing. And, and then if I do this, and then this will happen, and then this will happen. And so I now need to prepare myself to protect from all possible eventualities. You see how very quickly you move from a healthy fear response that's actionable to something that's incredibly unhealthy. It, it, anxiety is the spiked strain within your blood pressure, your adrenal glands, your heart rate, where you are seeking to find the answer in that moment. It is a human-created device that has developed from personal agency and ability, self-governing, self-rule, and self-law. You don't see this in small, small children. When children are little, they place all of their dependence on the unknown upon who? who? Ch- children trust who? Their parents. They, 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 they completely trust their parents. And there's so much they don't even know. But that's fine because they, they trust implicitly God's designed faith within children so that they will just simply trust. But then what about life? Come on, you guys remember? I remember the first time I saw my tax bill. Screwed that up first time. Insurance, you got to get insurance costs. Oh, and then there's car insurance, life insurance, health insurance, cell phone insurance. 
You, you know, they'll sell you insurance for anything. Because what is insurance? Insurance stems from our obsession with this. It's not a God-created device. Hear me loud and clear. Anxiety does not come from God. We have created it by living in a sinful world. Also, anxiety is not a response to actual threats. It is a calculating of possible threats. It manifests itself physically, emotionally, behaviorally, psychologically, physically with chest pain, shallowness of breathing, dizziness, numbness, dry mouth, nausea, relent, uh, restlessness, shaking. Psychologically, it's manifest with indecisiveness, racing thoughts, decreased concentration, impatience, anger, confusion, nervousness, and unrealistic conclusions. Some of you are experiencing anxiety right now as I'm talking about this. <laughs> Behaviorally, anxiety produces avoidance situations. I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to be around people. Just pull the covers over your head type of syndrome. Obsessive compulsive disorder. Social distress. Increased use of substances, drugs, and alcohol. When left unaddressed, if we live in this valley... If we live here in this place of harm to our souls, it will lead to panic disorders, panic attacks, phobic disorders like agoraphobia, social phobia, other weird ones like um, afraid of mice and spiders and insects, separation, anxiety disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder. You guys know that as PTSD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Mixed anxieties of depression and substance abuse. I'll give you an example of this with a story real quick. I don't know if you realize this morning who is not here. I don't know if you noticed who's not here this morning. Um, many of you may have already heard about this. They, um, they said that the ice shanties needed to be removed by March 15th from Boundary Waters. Apparently one of our local fishermen got to, too close to what they now suspect is a freshwater spring. I found out just yesterday that his wife was contacted by the authorities very early in the morning. That he caught the biggest walleye they'd ever seen, and he won $100,000 by the Guinness Book of World Records. He's getting his picture taken right now. How did you feel in that moment? What did you, where did your heart go? Your, your brain started... I totally made that up, guys. This is not true at all. I, I want to give you an example of what that feels like. Your brain starts racing. Who isn't here? Who isn't? Did, did you hear anything? I didn't hear anything. Where could he be? How, some, some of the fishermen. How big a walleye was this? Where was? Where, where, where? <laughs> no, here, here's the reality. Um, th- this is how the human soul works. God wants to keep you in a place of fearing him alone. You don't need to fear anything that happens in this world. And if you do, we, we, because of our brokenness in our world, if we're not processing it properly, if we, don't have, if we don't have the principles of shalom in our lives, we'll fall into anxiety. And remember, anxiety is preparatory. Uh, God allows it. God allows anxiety to help you prepare for what might be. But you got to get out of that red spot quickly. You got to move. And the best way I know to do that is to take whatever your anxieties are and give them to who? The one who can control them. Because I can't control them. 
And if you don't, what you end up with is you live in this area, this very dull, latent, stagnant, like tar in your soul that I can't move forward. And the Bible has a word for that as well. It's not called inaction. What's it called? Sin. It's sin. Worry is you taking what belongs to God and thinking you can do his job. It's a failure of faith. And the Bible calls that sin. I I believe the particular sin here is transgression, meaning you might be trying to do the right thing. Your intentions might be good, but you're going about it the wrong way. If you can remember back to, remember the target with CJ and the bow and arrow? Remember the three different categories of sin? Yeah, worry is a sin. And like all sins, it needs to be confessed. Let me direct your attention to this passage that Helen helped us with already this morning. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear or be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who who is the judge of all? Is it Satan? Satan's not judge of anything. God alone is the judge. He alone is the one who will pass correct judgment based upon what was done in the body, whether good or bad. And so fear him. I'm not super happy with the be afraid translation here. It's, It's fear, meaning adjust your behavior. Consult into your heart the emotion to transform your thoughts in line with him as the authority. Not the devil, not the government, not your family, not your own desires. Let's continue. He says, are not two sparrows sold for like a penny? Worthless sparrows, like a penny, two of them, done. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even if the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. What was the song this morning, Helen? His eye is on the sparrow, so I know he watches me. We need to be careful when we're not living in anxiety. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to turn to a New Testament passage. It's the best one there is. Um, uh, as you're turning to the book of Philippians chapter 4, I want to ask you, um, we're going to have just a little quiz to start, and then we're going to have a quiz to end. Doesn't that bring out the anxiety in anybody? Does that sound like fun? Uh, as, as I've given you these three options, I, I want to make sure that you guys are tracking with the definitions. So I'm going to give you a scenario, and I want you to tell me which of these three you think it falls into. Is it fear that informs our behavior? Is it anxiety that begins processing? Or is it just worthless worry? So here's the first one. Uh, Let's say you are walking with your family in Yellowstone National Park, and right there on the path is a buffalo. Should I approach the buffalo? Which of those? Good. Fear. It's going to inform me of harm so that I change my behavior, right? Next one. Um, Tell me which of these three pops into play. I hear that there was a school shooting. Anxiety. Do you, do you, maybe you, could you imagine? Can you feel that? 
right? It's like immediately adrenaline spikes and my heart rate increases. And I start thinking, is that somebody I know? Where, where, what? You you get it? That's anxiety. Next one. I wonder if I'll run into my ex-girlfriend at my class reunion. (laughs) You sure that's not fear? (laughs) That's that's worry. Can you control that? No, not at all. A couple more. Um, How should I carry a firearm as I'm walking through the field with other hunters? Fear, right? I'm not afraid, but I fear the power of this weapon, and so it informs my behavior to point it in a safe direction. Um, How about this one? Did I leave the oven on before I left for church this morning? Oh, you guys jumped to worry. I think that's more anxiety. I think that's a little bit more acute to start the mental processing from going on, right? But you'll see that you're moving farther away from what you can do about it. All right, one last one. I wonder if I'll inherit male pattern baldness when I grow up. It's a worry. All right. That's our first quiz. You guys did great. A plus. All right, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4 and read through verse 9. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I want to offer us just one conclusion that's themed around our study for mental health from this direct passage, uh, when we learn to replace our uncertainty of tomorrow with a confidence in our Lord, we will be freed from anxiety and worry, and we will be welcomed with peace. I'm, I'm going to repeat that again just to let that sink in. That, that's, that's the overarching conclusion from this passage. When you let go, when you exchange... <coughs> uncertainty of tomorrow. Do you remember the passage that we heard this morning from Rod? Tomorrow has enough what? Has enough trouble of its own. Or sorry, today has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. You you have enough just today to worry about. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. God will give you everything you need for today. So take your uncertainty and exchange it with a 
confidence in our Lord. And when you make that little exchange, you know, like take the receipt, go back to the store. Can I get a refund on my uncertainty? I'd like some confidence. You at that point will be free from anxiety and worry. And instead you'll be offered something far better. Shalom. You will be welcomed with peace. From our passage this morning. By the way, that being our conclusion, all we have left for this morning is so, so how do we do this? Like if that's true, how do I begin to, to operate in my daily life so that I can make that exchange and have shalom? I want to offer to you six principles of shalom. And I, I want to offer them to you in a way uh, like, like ingredients in a recipe. Right? If, if you're going to bake a cake, if it's going to turn out right, you need to make sure you put in all the ingredients. Right? So this isn't all a cart. This isn't pick your favorite. This is you and I need to be disciplined on all of these. And they're coming directly from our text this morning. The first is this. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Christ is all that you need, church. He's all you need. This little phrase right here uh, is a hallmark of uh, my father's wisdom. I can remember my dad, uh, as he matured in his faith, in, in all the wisdom that he had, this one was right at the very top. In fact, I texted my sister this week and I, and I said, do you ever remember dad saying this? And she, she has this entire story uh, around it. Uh, while my dad was progressing in his illness and it was getting worse, uh, Carrie uh, had a little, a little book full of questions that she wanted to ask him before the Lord took him home. You know, she, she wanted to like, like a sponge, soak up all the good stuff uh, from his life. And she, she had also uh, had it so that the first page would be in his handwriting, but uh, he, he started to lose his ability to write uh, pretty soon after that. And so it, about two weeks before he passed, uh, she was visiting, and uh, she, it, was a, it was an August day or late July. She, she wheeled him outside in the sunshine, and she just asked him, Dad, well, what big bit of wisdom can you give me in life? And what do you think he said? This was it. Stay close to Jesus. She said they sat out there for about half an hour until his breathing became more labored, and then they had to go back inside. But she said of that 30 minutes that she spent with him, this was the best of all. This was number one. My dad was a really great guy. He was very wise. Uh, the, the thing that uh, I inherited that becomes kind of a flunker tradition is sometimes an undue confidence. Sometimes we can be a little overconfident. And I think part of that nature within my dad's life uh, keyed him in on the secret sauce for confidence. Do you know what it is? It's staying close to Jesus. I want you to look back in your text in verse 5. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Commentators aren't quite sure if what Paul means by this is that the, re the return of Jesus is near. That might be what he means. I, I suspect it actually might be more having to do with the spiritual presence and influence of Christ in our lives and available to you right now. I, I totally think the future thing is correct as well, but I think the emphasis Paul means here is that he's near to you right now. You heard Rod's uh, story about the compass this morning to our children, right? 
There was a time this past fall that I shot a deer and I could not find it. Boy, if you've ever been there, that'll give you some anxiety, right? So I called my family as my search posse and we had a blood trail. And so we spread out and everybody was looking and Emily, she's got a really sharp eye. And uh, Sadie, she stays real close. uh, But my son has that genetic mutation of confidence that I inherited as well. And so he would start to stray a little bit far away. And I got a pretty loud whistle, right? I, I, can, I can get his attention and uh, call him back. And I said, son, I, I need you to stay where we can see you. And of course, he listened perfectly to his dad. No, he, he, he actually got a little bit turned around in the woods. And he did not have a compass. And it was starting to get dark. And as uh, the sun began to set, I whistled and I whistled nothing. Now, thankfully, he had his phone on him. So I I called him. I said, can you hear me whistle? And I gave it the loudest I could. And he said, no. And I thought the last place that I saw him on the hill, I thought, well, I'm going to head that direction. And Emily and Sadie went back to the ATV. And it was a good 15 minutes, probably felt like hours to him of being lost in the woods until I finally, I finally found him. He was, he was three forties removed uh, because the problem was he thought th- this happens. He thought he was headed in the right direction and he, he thought just over this next hill, I'm going to see the field. And so he goes over the next hill, but there was nothing. How close to me do you think he was on that walk back? <laughs> right? If you've ever felt lost in your own heart, you'll know that the wisdom of shalom begins right here. It's because you put such confidence in God. I am not able. I get lost all the time. He's never lost. And so the greatest word of wisdom to get rid of anxiety and worry in my life is simply stay close to Jesus. That's what Paul says. Look what he says. He says, the Lord is near. Um, Anybody who, uh, we're going to miss Bible study this Wednesday, uh, but ask me a question on this on a a Wednesday. There's so much more that I just don't have time for that I want to share with you. This passage out of Jude, Jude tells the church, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Who is able, church? Who is able? God is able. God is able. And so you and I need to learn to stay close to Jesus. Number two, pray continually. Pray continually. If you look back with me in the text in verse 6, you have the command, don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer, in petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The best illustration I can think of when it comes to prayer for you and I has to do with electricity. Anybody lose power this week? Anybody know what that felt like? Yeah. Do you know, I submit to you, when you stop praying, it's the exact same thing. As what you feel physically when you don't have electricity. You, you have now disconnected yourself from the source of all power. But when, you, but when you pray. And to have prayer become a component not just of like a 
holy Sunday morning, let the pastor pray, bow my head, but let prayer saturate from the moment I rise to the moment I lay my head down, I am in communion with God, you will stay connected with the source of power in your life. Paul says this to the church in Thessalonica, rejoice always. He's like repeating himself from Philippians. Shortest verse in the whole Bible, pray always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, you need to treat your trials with thanksgiving. So you'll notice anxiety is the issue in, in verse 6. Is it not? You guys with me? Verse 6, don't be anxious, he says. But there's a key to our prayer life. There is a secret ingredient that will cause anxiety and worry to just melt like snow when the sun comes out. Do you know what it is? It's gratitude. It's thanksgiving. And this is exactly what Paul says. This, this is a huge one, you guys. Look with me back in the verse. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. I want to make sure that we don't confuse thanking God for our trials with thanking God in our trials. Right? God does not uh, seek to cause us either temptation or harm, though he does discipline us for our good. Therefore, it is within the difficulties of life. You don't have to thank God for cancer. You don't have to thank God for the death of the loved one, but you thank God in the midst of the cancer. You thank God in the midst of grief and pain. Uh, this passage again, the same one I just had up there, First Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. I hope you're seeing that this is not an a la carte, pick whatever ingredient you, you want here, but Paul is literally repeating the command to multiple churches, how you and I learn to live under the principles of shalom. So thank God in the middle of difficulties. And and here's how I want you to imagine it. Gratitude in your heart will be like an anchor in a storm. When you are able to, even in the middle of very difficult diagnoses or news or circumstances, when you are able to thank God, your soul will not be then blown adrift on the waves of the trial. Have Have you had some hurricanes in your life? Come on, church, right? Have you had some moments that felt like the building's going to fall? Like I can't handle what I'm facing right now. You need an anchor in that moment. I'm submitting to you that thanksgiving, thankfulness is a anchor. And do you know what it's anchored to? This is the best part. It's anchored to the character of God. God does not change. He has, he has declared his love and promises for you like a rock that will never move but we're detached from it. So how do we connect and anchor to it? I believe that we do so by learning how to thank God in the middle of our difficulties and hardships, which, by the way, you have to know the devil hates. He hates it when the people of God give thanks to God even when bad stuff is happening. I got a whole bunch more I'd like to say about Job. If you're familiar with Job's story, you might already know where I go in that illustration to simply highlight that no matter what you face, you can receive from God both good and bad and 
thank him for who he is. And the devil and all of his efforts to, to knock you about with waves and hurricanes, the devil's going to get tired of you. He's going to move on to somebody else because you're anchored to the character of God. Number four, you need to think about what you think about. Doesn't that sound like something a parent would say? Come on, church. Amen on that. You and I need to learn to think about what we think about. There's a word for this. I want you to write it down. It's called meditation. I don't mean Eastern. Oh, that's not what I mean. Meditation is the decision of jettisoning, meaning letting go of bad patterns of thinking and replacing them with godly patterns of thinking. Now, there's no better place you're going to find that than the Word of God. There's no company better where you're going to find that than the people of God. So, devoting yourself to studying His Word and participating in the family of God are the two best ways that you can begin um, putting resources on the shelf of your heart for practicing meditation. Look with me back into the text once more. Verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brothers, sisters as well, uh, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, is anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these. That's what needs to go through your brain. Now, I don't know if you guys are like me, but there are many moments in my day where my brain will wander. And like a sinner, it wanders to things that want to cause me harm in my soul. There was the other day I was driving up here from town and the whole time I was having a whole conversation in my head with somebody who I'm arguing with. Who thinks that was a, a good God glorifying drive up here, right? I, I was allowing those thoughts to control my mind because I wasn't thinking about what I was thinking about. The Bible is very clear. The Bible is exceedingly clear on this. True, noble, right. Pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Got it? That's it. This is not like it's a mystery. Think about those things. And so in my drive, I kind of I stopped myself. I was like, why am I doing this? This is not a healthy way of thinking. Do you know what I was doing? I was trying to future solve arguments that weren't actually happening. What's the term for that? Yeah, that's, I'm trying to, trying to go through all the possibilities. What if he says this? Well, then I'll say this. And then what if he gets me on this? Well, then I'll just, ooh, I'll get him like this. Not, not healthy. That, that is a human device. That does not come from God. And so here are a couple passages to help us with that. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I want you to see the military language that's used in these passages, right? Taking captive, guarding, demolishing, Right? There, there is a battle that is happening in your heart and soul, and so you need to come prepared. And you do this by thinking about what you properly need to think about. Just two other verses that I want to highlight how this is not an option. The Bible repeats this, this from Romans chapter 8, 
Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and, what's the word for peace we learned today? Shalom. How about this from Colossians 3? Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I cannot emphasize to you enough the importance of allowing the soundtrack in your mind. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Soundtrack? My, my wife has this, I was going to say problem, but then I get in trouble if I say problem. My wife has this habit of humming little Disney songs while she's washing dishes or cooking. And it's, I want to say super adorable, but it's really super annoying. <laughs> because she never gets to the whole song. She just hums the one little chorus over and over and over and over and over and over. You and I need to learn to be like that when it comes to God's will. We need to so saturate our hearts and our minds that the thing that we allow to just repeat over and over is whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Amen? You guys with me on that? That's called meditation. So you're going to get to hopefully be challenged to practice that this week. Number five, you need to pattern your Christian life after maturity. Boy, this is a big one. Boy, the church is weak on this one. I need to do a whole sermon just on this alone, but look with me once more into the text. Verse 9, Paul says, Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, what's the command? Put it into practice. Church, I want you to know that the thing you and I need to do to grow is learn how to fully godly participate in the family of God. By finding people who are more spiritually mature than you and learning from them. And by the way, we all have aspects of that with one another. I know that there is somebody here today that you could spend time with that you'd be like, man, every time I'm around that person, I'm just a better person. By the way, the opposite is also true. I know you know people who when you spend time around them, I am just a worse person. You, you and I need to be very careful that we are learning to pattern our Christian life after maturity. Um, I, I want you to see one other thing here in the text because this is critical to our understanding of it. Go back with me in chapter four just a little bit. You guys still with me? I'm, I'm wrapping up here, so we only got one more to go. Um, back to verse two. Look at the situation in Philippi. Paul says in verse two, I plead with Eudia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. These are two women in the church. And what are they doing? Oh, geez, that never happens. That never happens, right? Where you got two people who are just contentious to one another. Paul says, I need you guys to come to an accord. I need you guys to learn to agree with one another. They're not operating out of maturity right now. And so Paul calls upon the larger church. Look what he says in verse 3. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow. That means somebody who's more mature, who has influence in their lives, to help these women who have contended at my side and for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. 
when I was in high school, um, there was this one kid that was just like a super athlete. He still lives in Florence. His name's Chris Johnson. The, the guy was phenomenal. Football, phenomenal. Track and field, phenomenal. Baseball, home runs all the time. But basketball is where I got to play. And um, I remember one time I, I was having to guard him, and he did this juke move, and I landed right on my rear end. <laughs> but I watched what he did. I watched it. And I began to try to pattern my own footwork after his. What, what do you think? Did I become better or worse? I became better because I had somebody who was better than me that I was surrounding myself with. This is critical for you, church. This is critical because we don't spend seven days here. How foolish is it to have a pastor have one hour to try to bring discipleship to a church? That's, that's idiocracy. I, I, there's very little uh, maturing that can happen with one hour. And so you and I need to learn how to pattern our lives by surrounding ourselves with maturity. Number, number six, last one here. We need to learn to rest and rejoice in God. I want to take each of these um, individually very, very quickly. Um, rest. Look with me back in the text in verse 7. When you give thanksgiving in the midst of trials, verse 7 says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart. There's that military term, guarding your heart, God's peace. And if you look down at the end of verse 9, if you you pattern your life after uh, mature Christians, he says, and the God of peace will be with you. Did you catch it? How important do you think peace is to anxiety? It's everything. It's the entire antidote. And Paul says, the peace of God and the God of peace will come to you when you practice these principles. The second has to do with joy. I want, I want you to know, church, I've said this a bunch of times, our superpower is singing. You, you, you guys familiar with the Marvel movies, right? Whatever, superheroes, whatever they can do, super strength like the Hulk or um, what's another one? I don't know. There's a bunch of them. Our superpower it's not natural. It's supernatural. Is singing. When you sing, there's something that's impossible to happen in your heart. Anxiety and worry, they just can't live in a heart that's singing. And look with me in the text in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord when it's convenient for you. Right? Is that what it says? Always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And here is why Paul says that. Um, we, we might have missed it. Uh, I read it just a moment ago. It's at the end of verse 3. Paul, as he's, as he's pleading with Judea and Syntyche and asks Clement for help, he says that his fellow workers have their names written in the book of life. Holy smokes, you guys. Think about that. Imagine. Imagine your name. You have your name written in God's book of life. The books that will be opened on Judgment Day. And that your name is locked in. After every wrongdoing sin that's in your ledger, do you know what it says? Paid by Christ. Paid by Christ. Paid by Christ. The only thing left for me is life. If you hold to that truth, do you know what you're left with? I don't have uncertainty for tomorrow. My confidence is in the one who paid my bill. My confidence is in Jesus. And so now instead of worry and anxiety, all I have is peace. And I can do exactly what Paul says. His next command after he says your name's written in the book of life is 
joy. Let's rejoice. Church, you can rest in God. There's a name for this resting. It's called Sabbath. I I would love to do a whole series sometime where we can investigate what Sabbath means. But Sabbath simply means that you are resting from striving. I'm resting from my striving. This little passage from Hebrews chapter 4 The writer says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. And I would submit to you, our world is awful at rest. They are awful. There there was once upon a time, stores were closed on Sunday. Nope, the almighty dollar changed all that. Unfortunately, many people still have to even work on a Sunday. I want to also make sure you don't falsely think that Sunday is Sabbath. The rest that he's talking about is a perpetual rest. You don't just rest from your works Sunday, or by the way, Saturday, which is Sabbath. You don't just rest one day. The Christian rests in Christ. All of my life is Sabbath. But what does the world want you to do? You got to hustle. You got to get busy. You got to work harder. You got to work faster. You got to burn the candle at both ends. Church, we need to reframe our lives. And we will have a continued epidemic of anxiety if we fail at this. So I want to give you one last quiz. Everybody with me? Please take out your sermon notes. If, if, you, if you haven't looked at them yet this morning, now's your chance to take them out. I, I have the questions up on the screen. Uh, I'd like us to answer these real quick. This is, this is going to be your thermometer gauge as you go through this next week for what it is you need to work on. So let's just, in two minutes, let's just walk through these. First question, you've you got to answer it uh, yes or sometimes, you know, a little bit sometimes or no, I'm bad at this. So number one, do I commune with Jesus throughout my entire day? That's coming from stay close to Jesus and pray continually. So Check one of those boxes, whichever one of those uh, defines that question in your life. Number two, do I keep circumstances from controlling my joy? You remember Paul says, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your heart. So, Is my joy defined by my circumstances? Give give a checkbox there for where that lands. Number three, do I exercise control over my thoughts throughout my day? Or are you a little bit like me from time to time? You end up thinking about stuff that's just not healthy. I I, got to do a better job of obeying verse eight. To think and dwell and meditate on things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, honorable, excellent, praiseworthy. Number four, am I growing in my faith through patterning godly habits? Think of the habits of your life. What's your bedtime routine look like? What's your morning routine look like? How are those habits defined by the circumstance of this world or even the influence of bad company or are they patterned after mature christians who show you a better way to live a better way to value things lastly 
Am I resting in God's grace and daily discovering peace? Because that's where he ends. Rejoice always in the Lord. And we have to learn to Sabbath. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.